Welcome back to the Blog Boy Roundtable, presented by the Bay Area Examiner. I'm Seth Warner, joined by Robert Stieg and Nathan Bond of the Bay Area Examiner and Nick Simon of DraftKings Network. Fellas, it's been a while. Uh, Off-season, we're going to kind of once a month, twice a month-ish. But there's a lot going on, so we kind of let it marinate a little bit before we got back together. Last time we spoke, Nick Saban had just retired. Uh, His job has been filled, and that's kind of set off a ripple effect a little bit. And so we can talk about some of those. And then um, some news dropped today we could talk about briefly. And then last week you had the big thing in SEC. um, In honor of Carl Weathers recreating the the handshake or (laughs) recreating that. so um, we can we'll, we'll finish talking a little bit about that and what that means for the future of college football. But let's start with Alabama replaces Nick Saban. This is not the most current news, but Kalen DeBoer. Just initial thoughts on that. Um, you know, no real coaching experience in the South. Is that gonna matter? I don't think so. Mostly because. I mean, we talked about it before. You don't want to be the guy that replaces the guy. These coaches are psychopaths. I know they want this. Like, as much as people were thinking that people were denying the job, financial and everything like that were probably happening behind the scene. Um, But man, like Alabama's roster just got kind of decimated. That I don't think it really mattered that he did whether he did or did not have experience in the South all of these schools are having to recruit nationally at this point. And he, I mean, he must start cooking, man. Like these guys have to start rolling in. Um, you know, I, I think culturally it might be a little bit of a shock to him. Um, you know, Nick Saban built up this huge repertoire and personality there that these boosters and these, you know, media members that have been doing this for so long, they're used to Nick doing things a certain way. This guy's going to come in and, I don't think he's going to rock about too much, but any, any rocking is going to just double and triple every single time. You know, if he doesn't show up to a media appearance or something like that, then you know, God help the radio shows in Tuscaloosa for the night. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good hire nonetheless. Like it, it's, it's exactly what they should have gone for, but it, it's still, I mean, the optics, no matter what, following the guy like this is just going to be hard for him. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll kind of echo that. Um, Alabama getting picked over like they have um, since the coaching change probably um, probably gives them a better insight of where their deficiencies are. Um, Nick Saban, um, just the name itself, I mean, clearly carried a lot of weight with recruits, athletes, parents, especially in the South. So now... Kalen DeBoer has the uphill climb of, okay, I'm clearly not Nick Saban, right? But he still has to reach the families in the South and still build back up. Now, this is a guy, man, I sound like an NFL like analyst. Now, here's a guy, but he's lost 12 games ever as a head coach at any level. Like, the guy is a freaking winner. I think he's going to figure it out. It's going to be bumpy. Like there could be a nine win season in there in the next couple of years, but I think he will get it right. I think he's, he's too good of a coach 
he's had success at too many levels to fail now. And uh, I mean, if he can get Washington to the national championship game, I mean, anything is freaking possible with this guy. It's a very interesting hire because they went total scheme. Like that's, you know, because that's the thing, because we you guys touched on it before that the board doesn't really have um, recruiting chops in the South, which at a, at a program like Alabama, they've trend, they've kind of transcended that to where like Saban was just going out to like California. Like there's a kid in like Rhode Island, like he's going to go get it. It doesn't, doesn't matter, whatever. But again, very, very interesting from a schematic aspect. And that's going to kind of what they're going to be leaning on, especially in these first couple of years as they establish their own reputation with like that staff establishes their own reputation within the SEC within like the Alabama fan base, the blueprint. So it'll be interesting to play out. Um, I'm also very fascinated by the staff he's put together and how he poached basically two, two sitting head coaches. You know, he goes, re- goes down a couple hours to mobile and get uh Kane Womack from uh, South Alabama. Then he pulls Mo Linguist from Buffalo. So so very, I mean, when you're Alabama, you can, you can do that. Like, Hey, you, like, I know you have your own thing going, but come be my DC. We'll pay you. Like we'll quadruple your salary basically. So that, that's interesting. What, what I thought the, to me, the most interesting part of this, like, like uh, we've all kind of hinted at, or not even hinted at, but directly said, this is not, you know, it seems like now if you don't want major attrition, you've got to hire somebody that's at least recruited these guys. DeBoer wasn't even running the same circles as I'd say a vast majority of these players never recruited them, never seen them. So that's mm-hmm. probably why you had that mass exodus. Um, so going forward, people probably want to look at that if they're looking to retain their roster. But to me, the more interesting side of it is does this point to the thought? And I think this is something that's come down the road, but that we're going to start splitting recruiting and coaching responsibilities uh, with all the talk of the calendar changing, I think we're going to get to a point where you're going to have guys that coach and then you're going to have personnel departments that work on the recruiting side. And uh, we'll talk about the decision from the National Labor Board uh, today about uh, employment possibilities. But as that gets closer and closer, we might see a model that's more like, you know, um, maybe we get closer to a model that's like soccer, like international soccer, right. where you can sign guys younger Academy you guys, you go find yeah. them, you sign them, and then you know it's all about at the top. You want a guy that can scheme and develop, which he's definitely that. So, yeah. Um, and then the fallout from that, besides players moving around, and, and we'll talk about uh, some of their players that ended up at uh, a school that will uh, the arrival of a school we're going to talk about pretty, uh, pretty soon. Um, you had Jed Fish take over, uh, at Washington, filling in for DeBoer. And then Brent Brennan takes over at Arizona. And then we got Kenya Matalolo back in college football, which is, or back as a head coach in college football, which is fun. But unfortunately, no triple option. Looks like he's going to be uh, more of a, uh, I think, run and shoot guy. Which it, is You guys know that scene in Aladdin, like Genie's like, bangles come off and he's like, I'm free. I feel like that was what happened to Ken Niamatololo when San Jose State was like, yeah, we don't need you to run the triple. He was like, 
You don't? <laughs> I can, like, I can a- throw ask the me to do something. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, to circle back on uh, Bama real quick, I think if this was like seven years ago and, you know, Nick Saban was at that age seven years ago prior to like Tua and Jalen Hurts kind of changing the trajectory of the Alabama offense, this hire is weird, right? But with the evolution of what Alabama was like deciding to do, uh, we're going to spread the ball out. We're going to be athletic playmakers everywhere. It really is probably going to ease the transition a lot better than most would have thought it would be. But again, he's still going to be kind of interesting, kind of taking over in the South. Hopefully he doesn't, you know, develop like a Brian Kelly fake Southern accent and, starts wearing like cowboy boots and, and cowboy hats or something like that. Um, but clearly Washington hiring Jetfish, it's great. Uh, Jetfish, uh, he recruited former USF quarterback, Jordan McLeod to Arizona. So clearly he knows quarterback play shout out offensive player of the year. It's not re-recruiting to Washington for whatever reason. Well, you know, the cold weather in Washington, Jordan's knees are a little, little shaky. To, you know, feel a storm it. coming. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if he wants to be in the Big Ten. That's also yeah, a bit. So the fish part of it is interesting. He hires uh, Steve Belichick as yeah, a season coordinator, which I think is an interesting hire. Um, is it interesting, like the nice way for you to say bad? No, I don't think it's bad. I don't know. It's the guy's been around high level football and coaching it. The defense in New England's been pretty good. I don't know, you know, it's hard to always hard to separate who does what, but you know, there's kind of two extremes with these kind of guys. They can be total Nepo babies and be terrible, or they could be, you know, just like raised in it and really good. So I, I think it's worth a shot. And Fish coached with him in New England, so he kind of knows him. And Fish was a QB coach in New England, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, Fish he, was, yeah, for a season, no, for a season yeah. or two, he was a QB coach there. So, you know, that, um, you know who his uh, offensive coordinator is? Who so, is it? Brandon Carroll, Pete Carroll's son. Yeah. He's building Nepo babies, all stars. Good Lord. The all star team. But hey, I mean, I mean, you get a little, you get a little uh, juice from Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick coming around. That's probably that probably couldn't hurt either. So they're both uh, not going to be busy next year. I mean, Bill's available. Why not just make him DC instead of having the I thought about baby that. with the like he's maybe weird, he's, like, maybe he's shadow DC. Barty Crouch Jr. like lip licking. I don't understand it. But he does have a nice mullet. Which he does. Also, that is I'm, the best uh, part about Steve Belichick. The, interest, <laughs> the interesting part of it to me is that he's young. He's like, I think he's 30. He's, he's not, he's in his thirties. Um, he's had a, you know, a ton of experience at a really high level. Even just if his name was Steve Jones and he was just like the co-DC of the Patriots and you got him as a 36 year old, you know, this is basically what Michigan did uh, when they started getting the young guys from the Ravens pulling them in and it's starting to, they're starting to see that kind of move of NFL guys coming in and being college defensive coordinators and then spinning back up to the NFL game. So um, that's kind of interesting, but the other big domino to fall was Michigan and they did like the smart thing, right? Just Jim Harbaugh goes to the chargers. They just promote Sharon Moore. It seemed like the, when the first list of, oh, here could be the candidates for Michigan League, 
it's like, oh, okay, it's going to be Sharon Moore. Because the, the candidate list right. was not, like, uh, particularly enticing. So don't do the stupid thing. Just, like, yeah. hi- hire the guy who helps you go, what, 4-0 when your head coach was suspended, like, eight times this season? Two like, top yeah. ten wins, right? And plus, and plus, Sharon Moore has the one thing that any other candidate doesn't. He has a win over Ohio State on his resume. Like, that. So like you don't you don't have to look anywhere else. Like you coached in the game, the one game that matters to them. Well, I guess outside of the national championship game, and you outcoached Ron Day and you won. So there you go. That that was his job interview. He passed with flying colors. It's probably been in the works that he was gonna get that job for months now, and it's just had to be a formality, a matter of when Jim actually left. But shout out to him. Shout out to Sharon Moore. And he seemed to be Harbaugh's kind of handpicked dude too. And they asked Harbaugh about it on his way out and he kind of sang his praises. Um, I think some of the other staff is going with Harbaugh, but Moore's done some in, uh, promotion from within. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he totally fills out his staff. But the word is he's a little bit more cutthroat as a recruiter than Harbaugh was, or a little bit more uh, willing to grind a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see if Michigan can kind of, because <clears throat> right now they're, Third, third best recruiter in the Big Ten. Penn State. I don't know where Penn State lies, but Oregon and Ohio State are both top five, top ten national recruiters. Michigan's gonna slot in at third, I'd imagine. It's depending on where. When you add USC to the mix as well, they could they could be a team, but they haven't seemed super interested in high school recruiting under Lincoln Riley. Um, but. We'll see that, but that'll be interesting. If you get a guy that's more of a recruiter there that understands Michigan and has those kind of bona fide wins, it seemed like a no-brainer. That's what they did. And if you saw, we already talked about kind of the the roster turnover at Alabama when you hire a guy that these guys don't know. The players wanted him, it seemed like, and you have not seen that mass exodus from Michigan. So I think they got the right guy in. Will it work out? Who knows? But it's definitely the right dude to get in. So we'll pivot from that to uh, Michigan. And kind of, we talked about Sharon Moore's big win. His signature win is Ohio State. Well, they seem to be taking it personally. And I think they're splashing some cash, you know, if you can read between the lines of what people are saying. And uh, they brought in some heavy hitters. Uh, is this... All in basically for Ryan Day now. We'll, and then uh, Bill O'Brien is hired as the offensive coordinator. He may be leaving, so that'll be kind of another wrinkle if he leaves for the Boston College shop. And we'll talk about Halfley, all that kind of stuff here in a second. But uh, is this Ryan Day's last chance? Yes, he like he absolutely has to win that Michigan game basically this year, and at the very least make it. I don't know, probably to the semifinals of the of the expanded college football playoff. Ohio State, um, they brought in a ton, ton of uh, key transfers. Will Howard, an experienced quarterback from Kansas State, with Sean Judkins from the really talented running back from Ole Miss. He was able to pull him, which is kind of like ironic because Ole Miss themselves pulled in a pretty impressive transfer class as well. Then uh, arguably probably the best arguably the best uh, freshman cornerback, probably the best cornerback in the entire nation, Caleb Downs, 
that that was a pretty good pull from them from Alabama, kind of benefiting from Saban leaving in that spot. But the thing with Ohio State is that we're talking about like the stack roster that they're that they've uh, put together this offseason. And I'm just like, Ohio State already had like the one of the top three or top five rosters in the entire nation. Like the talent wasn't the problem. The problem is, is you have a head coach who <laughs> who is like allowed his rival to basically flip everything that they were doing to them back on to him. And he just completely melts down in these games. So we'll see, like, we'll see what happens uh, this November in Columbus because he loses that game. Doesn't even matter if Ohio State gets automatically gets into the playoffs. He's he's out of there. Yeah. Also brought in Julian Sayan, who was by some recruiting services the number one quarterback this cycle. Um, he was you know fighting for the top two for most of the most of the recruiting period. Was from Alabama. Uh, he's from California. Enrolled at Alabama. I think probably practiced with them for the playoff, and then uh, ended up moving over to Ohio state. So got him as well for that quarterback room with Will Howard. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, uh, you've seen some numbers thrown around that don't seem to be factual, but it's what the interesting part of it to me is that they've got a bunch of guys that have decided to come back as well. So they're going to have, you know, I don't, what's funny is that this is not probably not going to be Ryan day's best team in terms of talent. Like I thought, um, the team that lost to Clemson in 2019, I think, was his best team. I thought that was the game LSU didn't want was that Ohio State team because they were loaded on uh, at, at the skill positions and at corner. So they, that would have been an interesting matchup. But it's not going to be Ryan Day's best team. But with the 12 team playoff, you think they'd be able to make some noise. And it certainly seems like they're going away from, you know, Ryan Day's kind of wide open. You know, three, four receivers on the field throwing the ball a ton. You got two really good running backs. You're bringing in some offensive linemen. You hire Bill O'Brien, who's not, you know, who's known for some 12 personnel stuff, yeah. uh, play action, that kind of thing. Um, do you think we're going to see a big shift? And does that change with if O'Brien leaves? I think you're definitely going to get see a, a lot more NFL concepts with Ohio State, right? Um, that you just don't typically see like even like Kansas city, um, the, the chiefs, they run a, quite a bit of 12 personnel. They don't really utilize like no gray in like the passing game, but he's going to be on the, he he's, you'll see him on the field, things like that. I think that's probably going to help him out in big 10 play just because of the nature of the conference. Um, but I, I got a, a question for you guys. Like <clears throat> we've all, we've all seen Billy Madison, right? Steve Buscemi has a list of like people he like just wants to kill. If Ryan Day gets fired from Ohio State, how high up on the list is Noah Ruggle, the kicker who missed as, as quite literally as the clock like struck midnight no, on New Year's Eve, missing uh, a chance to uh, beat Georgia and go to the college football final because I. Like he wins that game, they beat TCU. I mean, well, they they've been. Well, that's the interesting thing. Like, if they lose to Michigan, he'll probably get fired. It's unless they you know run the table in the playoff or something. But you know, like if I'm like, and I've been joking about it for a while now. But if I'm Florida, 
I'm praying Ohio State loses to Michigan, and then I just go throw a bag at Ryan Day after he gets fired, or, or you know, and then he's one of the be- he is one of the best coaches in college football. He just has whatever reason he started off. Actually, has he ever beaten Michigan? He's beaten him once, yeah. right? The first year, right? Yeah, plus, and then, then hasn't beaten him. And then 2020, the game got canceled. So he's, he's got that. He won the first one. Hasn't been able to get over the hump for whatever reason since. Um, I don't. It seems to me. Do you guys think that he had been building his teams to beat SEC teams, and then Michigan's was building their team to beat Ohio State? Yeah, they got too cute because Ohio State, like, it really started with Urban. Like they build themselves as like kind of like this SEC North type of type of roster. And then Harbaugh came in and preyed on that basically like, okay, you, okay. You, you think you can out like you're, you think you're too cute. You, you forgot where you came from. Okay. We're going to bully you now. And he did. Yeah. It's, that's what I thought always thought that was kind of an interesting things in terms of roster composition. And now you're seeing Ohio state where they're, you know, we're going to have two, we're investing. I'm assuming because Anderson, I believe is coming back, investing in two big time running backs, investing in the offensive lineman coming back, coming in through the portal, investing in a quarterback. That's a little bit more of a dual threat guy, not a great, great pot, uh, drop back passer. So are they kind of going back closer to Michigan in terms of style of play? Uh, than they than they had been. Uh, that's kind of uh, is that day's big adjustment in this rivalry. Yeah, I mean, clearly having a generational quarterback didn't work, so why not try something else? <laughs> and having mean, the best white, you know, having yeah, first round receivers yeah. every year hasn't generational wide receivers just all really. the plays like, like with those a generational wide receivers for like seven straight years. Like, yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I guess work, what so. they've got they got some more this year as well. Like, that's the thing. So, it's it's uh it's really like uh this is the true like college football psychosis because in in every almost every imaginable metric ryan day's been insanely successful he's one loss away from being fired and it could be on another kicker missing a field goal at the end of a game you know it, it could be the margins could be that thin and that's the good part about college football, also the, the crazy part, but it's, it certainly seems like we're heading there. So should be fun, especially if Sharon Moore beats him again two yeah. years in a row. He's getting he's getting bound. So, um, yeah, he'll be in the Gainesville next year. I can feel it. He reminds me too much of Billy Mays. Is it the hair? Is it the uh, dyed? The, <laughs> the dyed <laughs> it's the dye job. It's like the aggressive hand. In in Ohio, of all places, like, calm down. Like, what are you trying to sell me? Is Austin Clean that good? I doubt it. Screaming and yelling at Lou Holtz after game. Well, he deserves it. <laughs> so I, I, I get that. This was progeny. Sorry, so uh, that's so Ohio State's all in. That's kind of just going back through the new the kind of the news items we've missed, and then you know we talked about Ohio State wanting to be kind of SEC team or preparing to play SEC teams in the playoff. Um, we've now got some type of Big Ten SEC alliance, so to speak. It seems like it's just like, hey, we want we're, – we're, we're the two big dogs. We, we can exert a lot of influence. 
Uh, there was an, uh, there was a quote. I think Ross Dellinger was one of the. I'm not sure if he's the only one. I think it was his article. Um, you know, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey's uh, quoted as saying, "People came up to him, and uh, other administrators have come up to him at these big meetings and said." So what do you in the Big Ten want to do? Because we're waiting to hear what you guys want to do. And so he's like, all right, well, let's just get together. And we'll figure it out then. So um, is this the beginning of the end of kind of this modern, I guess, modern college football as we know it right now? I think it's the beginning of change, a really big shift. Um I think this is where you're going to start seeing the the haves and the have-nots. There's a lot of people that think they're the haves and they're part of that have-nots. And then there's some have-nots that have not yet gotten to the haves yet. So all this to say, I think there's just going to be this seismic shift where there's going to be probably 30, maybe even 40 schools that are probably related to what you're going to be talking about a little bit are going to be able to you know have these players be school employees essentially and these things might just start branching off at this point i don't think this is the end of college football because college football has a really really stable floor when it comes to division two and fcs and d3 and niaa and like you know, this thing's gonna live on college football is gonna live on one way or another I just think that there's going to be probably a, a branch that is going to come off from this that says we have the power, we get the viewership, we get all the money, we get most of the national championships, we get all of this, we're out because of incompetence on the other side of uh, the, the aisle uh, towards the NCAA. So we'll see how quickly that happens. This, From what I've spoken to with some people, this has been quite a long time coming and the, the fact that this is not public, something of this magnitude doesn't just happen like overnight. Like Greg said, he's not texting, you know, Big Ten commissioner. He's just like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Let's announce this. They've been working on this for, for months, potentially even years. You know, every move that you've seen in cultural law in the last year and a half has been like five years down the line. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if it happens uh, sooner rather than later. And it's fitting that they announced, like, I guess, this joint advisory committee. In, because, like, in the last couple of weeks, you've had the NCAA, you know, investigate different programs like Tennessee, Florida, or announce investigations over NIL rules that are all blurry and muddy. And to me, it's – and so it kind of so – like you meant, just mentioned, like, this has been in the works for a while. But for me, it really – it's really relevant. Because it's kind of them saying, hey, listen, we're, there's going to come a point where we're not going to put up with this garbage anymore with your grandstanding, your, you know, like just the vague NIL rules. And then like you were the NCAA refusing to establish like established parameters and then turn around and try to jam us up for stuff like like so basically like again like you mentioned like this is just step one of being like hey we're gonna go over here and form our own thing now you're no longer relevant yeah and i i mean this is the this is kind of what people have been thinking is you know the possibility once 
the latest round of realignment started to shake out that you've got a big two kind of splitting away here. And I don't think they will totally split away. I, I, it's hard to talk about this without bringing up today's kind of decision from the, uh, from the national labor uh, relations board, I believe. Yeah. National labor relations board uh, in Boston ruled that Dartmouth men's basketball players are employees of Dartmouth. Um, so they could form a union. It'll be interesting to see if this kind of spins out and this is all going to happen. It would seem, I would imagine pretty quick. Um, and so either this happens and you've got where these guys will be considered employees. They can get paid. They can negotiate contracts. They can unionize, which I think is what a lot of people think the next thing to happen is with, because you can't exert control on athletes, which I think coaches would like to have some control in terms of movement. You can't really exert that control if you're not an employer and you're not paying them legally. So that could be the next shoe to drop there. Um, but, you know, does that involve football spinning off? Does that involve something totally different? Because I don't think all these not every athlete's going to get paid i don't I, I i can't there's not enough money to go around and apparently that doesn't matter according to the national labor relations board it doesn't matter if you're making money or not uh but this is going there's going to be this is there's going to be a lot of fallout i think from this decision if it kind of carries through now i believe this happened previously with northwestern then once yeah. it got to a more national level from the regional level it got struck down um does this accelerate the NCAA figuring it out and trying to go to Congress for some type of you know legislation there, or does this just accelerate their demise? Probably accelerates their demise because it's like it's athletes being declared employees is antithetical to every you know, draconian thing that they stood for for over a century. So so it's kind of like you just mentioned with the advisory, like once something like this really gains steam, the NCAA just becomes less and less relevant. I think, I mean, I think their grasp on college, the FC, F, uh, FBS college football, the grasp of the NCAA is tenuous, I think, at best right now. They're not. Besides, I think, enforcing recruitment rules, that's pretty much their only function at this point. They don't put on the championship. All the conferences put on their own championship games. You know, they've basically taken all the qualifying rules are pretty much gone. You know, all the so there's really not a ton the NCAA does, I think, in terms of major college football. So. Is this something where college football, I, I feel like college football is going to spin off. Uh, I don't know. We'll see if it's like the whole division one spinning off or it's like 60 spinning off and, you know, and then college football under the NCAA goes back to how it has been for the most part with maybe some NIL component, but um, interesting, interesting case today. Steve, Nathan, anything do you guys think we're headed full board towards unions and contracts and employment, or we still got some time till that kicks in. I think the National Labor Board is going to probably boot it back. It happened in Northwestern. I don't think it's ready for massive 
public consumption at this point. Um, the, uh, the other side of that is you've got you've got the NCAA being sued left and right. Over and they're and they're caving every single time. They're getting hammered. <laughs> so uh, you've got like the conservative judges on the Supreme Court, you know, writing uh, opinions that the NCAA what they're doing is employment. So like, there's not even in like the the bastions where some people think the more conservative traditional would side with the NCAA. It's not happening. So I'm not quite sure where that goes from here. Speed run of the downfall of a whip party. Like, <laughs> like 30 years of like eventual downfalls within like three. <laughs> it, yeah. It's going to take like two more lawsuits. I, I promise two more lawsuits and they're going to be like, just shut it. Just shutter it. Like we're done. Close, close the doors. The NCAA office is closed for the day. Uh, yeah, they're, uh, this is the, it seems like this is just, they've had chances to get all this stuff under control and just refuse to take, uh, to get out in front of anything. It seems like, and it's all seems like it's coming home, uh, to bite them in the butt here at the end. But, um, Anything on this before we get out of here? Anything more? Nick, you got anything more on this? Anybody? Well, we'll see. This will be an interesting case. We've got, like, uh, somebody put it in our Discord here, all the the current uh, cases against the NCAA. And it was, like, five or six at least. Let me see if I can pull up the tweet. Okay, so for Pete Nako, so I think we're on three. Um, You've got... Legal matters with the NCAA with the House versus the NCAA, Johnson versus the NCAA, National Labor Relations Trial with USC, Pac-12 Conference and the NCAA, DOJ and states versus the NCAA transfer rule, and then the latest thing, uh, Tennessee and Virginia Attorney Generals against the NCAA. Um, yeah, I, I, it seems like at worst they're just allowing they're they're not fighting these. Um, at best they get some type of congressional protection to keep it somewhat similar to what it is now. But I think that unionization and employment of the players could make for a more level playing field in terms of salary caps and things of that nature, because those can be collectively bargained. But we'll see how quickly those come about. Thank you for joining us on another edition, a catch-up edition of the Blogboy Roundtable. We'll be back as news merits uh, at least another time in this month of February. Thank you for watching. Join us next time on the Blogboy Roundtable.